Hello! It is that time of the fortnight again, even though it's going to be late again, but um, okay. Anyway, this is Miller's Game Room Podcast, episode number 27, uh, with me, Miller, with the usual introduction, so I'm not going to go over that again today, because there's a lot to get through. Um, I'm going to have a section on, well, updates and stuff for me and the channel, um, news, lots of news, and then the what I've been playing, and... Vision novel section as well, and stroke fan translations, which I think is actually just going to get squeezed in the middle somewhere. But anyway, if you like the podcast, like liking, commenting, subscribing, the notification bell, five-star reviews, that kind of thing. So, that's good. Um, first one. Um, first off, I mentioned before this episode is going to be a little late, because I'm actually recording this the day before I'm supposed to put it up. And this is the second update. I got a long video off my channel about Atlas, I ranked all the RPGs, spent um, over 30 minutes talking about it, and then another whole day in equivalent of editing hours getting it cut down and uploaded, with tons of trailers, tons of music from my own collection, because um, having physical CDs means having in my own little music library of games to talk about is great actually, and uh, I really like that, and that's all uploaded, which is really cool, please go watch it, I, I've put so much work into it and hasn't cracked 100 views yet. Which I know is a lot, but like, it's got like 50 or so now, which is really good. And I'm hoping to get it up to 100. Um, and the final thing is actually more of an update thing and accountability for myself and for others. Bayonetta 3. Um, basically, the last episode, I was like, it had just broke the whole news initially when it first started. And I added it in about the whole news and basically believed Heaven and Taylor. I haven't actually listened to what I said before, but that's basically what it was. It was basically, oh, this is this is bad. We need to boycott this game. And, yeah. Um, for those who don't know, it all escalated. She was exposed to Vlad by a mission through investigative reporting. And then she basically indirectly confirmed it herself in subsequent statements. And, and then she was also revealed to be a bigot, uh, supporting Blue Lives Matter, Gender critical feminism, because of who she follows, and uh, as part of her boycott thread, she signal boost an anti-abortion charity. And uh, I say charity in quite marks, it's just some dickhead organisation in Kentucky that just puts up, that just pays for signs, and basically tries to guilt trip people and need abortions and not having them, because fucking hell. And yeah, I'm kind of Fred. I should have waited, I should have not talked about it before this episode, I should have actually stepped back and actually wait for everything to come in a bit more, and basically, like, not to say that, see, I was, I was wrong to, like, give her the benefit of the doubt, because I don't remember doing that, but, like, just what happened and was revealed since, why we actually take a step back to wait for more news to come in, you can kind of see how not only did she lie, but she did also deliberately muddy the waters of the discussion for voice actor pay going, well, going under, still being underpaid and exploitation, and that's really bad, like, it's just disgusting what she's done, and now she's basically tanked her, her career in voice acting, and theatre potentially, and I bet you what's going to happen now is she'll end up on some, like, right-wing reactionary show, because it's what these people do when they uh, expose as being shitty people because of political beliefs, and then they kicked out of the industries and stuff, all they've got left to do is to peddle hate, and you see that, like, even use a gender-critical example. Look at what happened with uh, Graham Linehan, who was a uh, 
somewhat respected writer for Father Ted and now knows nothing other than appearing in gender crit events because he's lost his marriage, lost his other stuff, lost a lot of money and careers, and yeah, that's basically where I think she might end up going. And it's uh, kind of predictable, and yeah, so uh, yeah, future, I will make sure to wait a bit if something like this comes out just before a podcast is due to be recorded or go up. I'll wait to get more the facts rolled in and then for next episode or even a video on the channel. Now onto news. The well technically we already started news, but now onto news that's got nothing to do with that shit. First bit of news is a short one. Dragon Quest X Offline demo now available in Japan. Um, this is basically lets you play the story from the beginning up to the player's departure after reincarnating into one of the five races within the game, because I mean, original name for Dragon Quest X is Rise of the Five Tribes Online, so, you know, you get to be one of the tribes, I guess. It has a playtime of three to five hours, and save data can be carried into the full game. I might give this a try. Um, I'm quite sad it's not been picked up for the West, but also after reading to the game a bit more, it seems that Square Enix and BB Studio, who developed it, primarily did it only to kind of encourage people to play the online game. So unless they really fully expand it into, like, another arc or something... I don't think we're going to see this in the West, which is a real shame because DQX deserves to be released over here officially in some form, and an offline version of the game is the best way to do it, and committing to bringing offline arcs for all of them, there's about six, would be the best way to do it. It'd still be a lot of money, but nowhere near as much as maintaining the servers for it, because... That is, like, a legitimate reason why they wouldn't release it. Like, I'll criticise Square Enix for a lot of things, but not for not localising DQX online, because the base here just isn't big enough for it, and it just wouldn't be sustained off, like, a month. Well, it would be sustained for at least a month, but probably after a year or two it would be shut down, because there just isn't the base for it. Especially if you don't release it on the Switch or PC. And a lot of people do play this game on PC. In English as well, which um, I'm not doing, but you can if you want to. There are guides. I'm not doing it. And next one's kind of the more sad one, the most sad part of the taste show, because it's about um, Reiko Kodama. It was basically confirmed at the weekend that she passed away. This was back in May when she passed away, but Sega basically couldn't tell the public because the family said no, they wanted a privacy, which is fair enough. And so what they did do was they put a memorial message in the recently released Lego Drive Mini 2. So one of the games that said, like, in memory of Reiko Kodama. And then Yusuke Okunari, who's someone else at Sega, was asked directly about it. Basically, can you confirm she passed away? Because that's how the wording implies. And he confirmed it. And then Sega put out the statement saying what I said earlier. And also added... We pray that the deceased will rest in peace, and we offer our gratitude for her enormous contributions to Sega, which was translated by OGN Japan. Um, Reiko was originally a graphics designer who worked on games like Sonic the Hedgehog and Altered Beast, and then directed and produced various other later games, such as Fantasy Star 4, Skies of Arcadia, the Seventh Dragon series, which basically from a West will know of the third game, Seventh Dragon 3, as well as the Sega Ages releases for the Switch. Um, obviously quite a lot, huge varied legacy, and yeah, um, rest in peace. Uh, she's uh, done some iconic work, 
and yeah, very legendary. And uh, yeah, it's um, especially for in the Sega, it's quite sad news. Like, I've some of the games I've played personally was the Seventh Dragon games, mainly the third game, but also some Sonic. And technically, Four Hours of Skies of Arcadia as well, many, many years ago, but I need to actually try playing that game again now. I've got a proper setup. And yeah, um, kind of making me want to try to go around to it now. I can see why. Because a lot of people were basically in their tribute tweets were citing Skies of Arcadia, which I know a lot of people, especially who were born around like the, the late, who were gaming in the late 90s and early 2000s, who played that game, have a lot of nostalgia for it. So. Yeah, I need to check out and see what the, the hubbub's about, because I hope that's probably one of the games that, in terms of Reiko Kodama's, like, producing and director history, is probably the one that defines her the most, especially because, like, for later games, I don't know if she did Sega Ages for the Switch, she probably did the Sega Ages games for the PS2 as well, because Sega did Sega Ages for the PlayStation 2 in Japan back in the day, none of them came to the West, but... And also Seventh Dragon, but Seventh Dragon, most of that series didn't come to the West. We only got them via fan translations, aside from the third game. So. And last bit of news for for this, for now. Next up, um, this was today, uh, Nibelian, who is known on Twitter for video game news, commentary and memes, has basically decided to suddenly leave. Uh, basically was like, I'm leaving... I'm going to look into refunding of patrons. I just can't sustain if you make money off this platform and it's just tiring. And also was like not liking the direction of the ways Twitter's going. And especially a case because uh, Elon Musk has actually bought Twitter as well. Already made himself the sole director and um, considering he's a transphobe and a bigot and a billionaire. This is going to end really well for Twitter. So I'm not surprised he's left. So. He's going to be missed. We don't know who his identity actually is in real life because in all this time he's actually been anonymous. So seeing people go say we'll miss you to this anonymous user, Nibelian, is kind of interesting to see. And that's kind of nice in a way, seeing people band together to say we'll, we'll thank you for everything to this anonymous person that we don't know like their real name or anything about him. So that's kind of... And it's strange, but also kind of cool in a way that shows that you don't have to disclose your real name to make a huge impact. And yeah, there'll be more people filling the void. And I think Twitter in general is probably going to go into a massive decline anyway, especially because, well, because of Musk, and that's one reason why Novellian left, and then the whole, like, seeing all the fascists come back on the site, and spreading abusive shit since Babayat was confirmed publicly, just, yeah. But yeah, see you later, Novellian, wherever you are now. Next bit of news, uh, The Witcher Remake has been announced. Uh, CD Projekt Red and developer Fool's Theory have announced The Witcher Remake, which is basically remaking the original Witcher from the start all over again for Unreal Engine 5. Uh, very early development, there'll probably be nothing on it for a while, probably a year or two. And yeah, I will kind of like Square Enix, as I mentioned earlier. I'll criticise CDPR for a lot of things, but this isn't one of them, because like... If you're going to remake a, a game, don't do something like what Sony have done and basically do an enhanced port of The Last of Us to PS5 with accessibility features, a game which you can already play on it and is already like widely beloved and great on its own merits. Actually get an older game that's clunky, that's flawed, that needs updating 
and is not as accessible and actually bring that back. Truly do it from the ground up. And by the time the remake actually comes out, it will be closer to 20 years old. And the original Witcher came out for PC in 2007. So, yeah, it comes out in like 2024, 2025, even 2026. That will be a good time to release a remake. And that's a good thing to do. Fallout 4 has also been revealed to be coming to PS5 and Xbox Series next year. I'm bringing this up primarily because when I think of this game, I think of one of my amazing friends who uh, considers Fallout 4 to be her favourite game of all time. Um, I'm not really sure why. I think it's a lot of it's about how the charm and how the game connects with her. Um, so that's why I even think of this game. I think of her and she's cool. Uh, anyway, for this particular release, the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series versions will be available as a free upgrade for the PS4 and Xbox One owners. New features include performance mode features for high frame rates, uh, 4K resolution gameplay with quality textures for it, uh, bug fixes, and extra Creation Club content. And um, yeah, um, it exists. This is a low effort remaster, unlike the Witcher remake, but the patch is free. So if you're going to do something like this, free patch, that's the right thing to do. And now for the fan translation, what I was mentioning earlier. Idea Factory, for those who don't know, released a lot of games that have nothing to do with Compile Heart or creepy Moe anime. Uh, this game is a, a SRPG called Run Equals Dim as a Black Soul. Apparently, uh, Run Equals Dim, or whatever it's called, actually is a franchise. I've never heard of it. Um, this now has an English fan translation patch. And this RPG is actually mecha and turn-based and was originally released exclusively for the Dreamcast, only in Japan. And this was back in like 2001 when it came out, and if you know anything about the Dreamcast, you'll know in 2001 that thing was about to have its plug pulled. So you don't, like, it makes sense it never came to the West, especially if Idea Factory didn't like port it or localize as much at the time, which I don't think they did. I think it was a few years later they really started looking to localize in their games more. And... So this game came out. It was uh, developed by Yuki Enterprise, uh, recommended to fans of Super Robot Wars and Front Mission, because again, they're mecha. And yeah, it looks kind of cool. And uh, these are kind of games Idea Factory should still be making nowadays, not all these Compile Heart stuff, which uh, feature a lot of asset recycling and uh, fan service that's completely unnecessary and creepy. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna put even links this in the description. If you want to play it, check it out. I think I might give this game a try, actually, because it does look cool. It would be interesting to see Retro Idea Factory before Compile Heart, because we don't get anything else from them other than Compile Heart in terms of games. If you don't consider Otomia Games games, which they are, but in terms of RPGs, we don't get anything else other than Compile Heart anymore. Also worth mentioning, last week was the Week of Falcom, according to NS America. They were like, oh dudes, we're going to have this whole week full of Falcom announcements. It's going to be cool. And so I'm just going to summarise what the announcements were, because the majority of them were ports. Um, EsiX Monster of Nox uh, is coming to PS5 in spring 2023. Basically just a port of that game, limited edition, the same like any as were other consoles. So... It's a good game from what I've heard. I've not played it yet. Um, it looks like something you might like. I mean, maybe if it's on PS5, it might run a bit better because 
apparently it struggled to run on PS4 and Switch because it was just showing the age of the hardware or something, but I'm not sure, but hopefully technically it'll be a better version. Trails to Azure, which is the second Crossbell game in the Trails series, was dated for the 14th of March 2023, so that's March next year, which is going to be cool. PS4, Switch, and PC. Legend of Heroes, Trails to Re- Trails into fucking hell. The Legend of Heroes, Trails into Reverie, is dated for summer 2023 now for PS4, Switch, and PC, as well as the PlayStation 5, because that was added on, which, considering that Reverie is basically kind of like a... Th- a, a not like a kind of like a fan disc or a game that ties up stories for the previous games. It's kind of weird that's gonna start on PS5, but okay. And it's gonna be quite a ways away, so we've got plenty of time. As well as the early for that, there's also gonna be like free toys, so free little soft toys. One of Reen, one of uh, Lloyd Bannings, who's the, one of the main protagonists in the Crossbell arc, and a character called C. Um, which is apparently, I don't know much about C, because I've not played the games yet, but that's really emphasised in the Reverie marketing, so I'm guessing C's part of Reverie, I don't know. Trails fans don't spoil me, please. But that's cool, I'm glad that's been dated. I was hoping NIS would release Neuta first, because, well, is a shorter game, and it gives people a chance to catch up to Reverie and Kuro when they inevitably do those as well. So, that's cool. Uh... On a related note to NIS as well, because it's also related to Falcon pre-orders, they have opened up an EU store. And I mean an actual EU store, not a UK shop that claims to be for the EU as well, especially after uh, January 2020, aka Brexit. But that's aside. Um, they open a store, so if you're in Europe and you can go buy on this shop, you can get to get it sent from Hungary and not have to pay customs, which is a good thing, but this should have been done years ago when Brexit was announced. Like, like, I mean, as someone who's been following Brexit and it's relevant to this, so I'm going to talk about it briefly. I'm not going to go into full-on rant, but what I will say is this was entirely predictable if you've been paying attention. And I believe the main reason why they did this was because people stopped buying from there because, well, because they'll be hit with customs, because if you're shipping it from the UK... And then into Europe, you're going to get hit with customs because, well, it's, it's a it's a Brexit border that's not actually been enforced. Like, if you're a smuggler, you could import, like, basically anything into the UK now. It's not being checked. Like, that's how bad it is in terms of the border. But, yeah, if you import in or out, especially out, you get hit with taxes, which, yeah, it's just a mess. And I don't blame people from the EU states for just not buying from there anymore because it's just ridiculous. And that's basically, that's the main reason why they did it. Like, they did it because they lost money. And and all these other LEs they've made, which no one's bought. But, oh my god. Should have just done this ages ago, like. Especially because a lot of you like, it's not an EU store, it's a UK store. Because in many ways, yes, it is a UK store. But, you know, early days. Like, once NIS actually properly like start putting other things in the shop, like get some EU physical game copies and put them in the EU store as well, it'll be better. Same with Axis Games, they've done that with the new stuff especially. The EU store is also managed by the same provider, Reef Entertainment. And Idea Factory will do probably be doing the same thing soon because they haven't actually opened pre-orders for the latest Compile Heart Kusogi they're releasing 
and I reckon when they do, they'll they'll drop the store as well. So that's going to be uh, a thing that will hopefully be sooner than later. Well, not in terms of Vukasogi, but the store, but and more Otome from them hopefully. And speaking of Otome and Axes, Axes had the All Axes panel on the twentieth October. Yeah, it happened ages ago, but I'm talking about it now because I can. Um, not much new news. I'm just going to go over briefly what they were. Uh, Lava Pretend was dated for the 1st of December, so that's just over a month away. Nornine Var Commons, which is the port of the Otome that previously came west for the PS Vita, coming March 2023. Uh, Jack Gian is also getting limited edition, so no specifics on that yet, but it's cool it's getting limited edition, and just hope that it's actually um, a good LE with lots of content and affordable. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for these games, and uh, the other ones don't have dates yet, by the way, they're just still, like, broadly 2023 or whenever. Uh, also announced their first 2024 Otomi game, and I think they primarily did this because they knew Otomi fans would be watching, because I think this was a bit of, a, of an early announcement, probably a bit too early, but they announced Tengoku Struggle Stray Side, so... That's one that's quite well liked. It's from the creators of uh, Olympia Soiree, which is another Otome they released a year ago, which a lot of people liked. I've not played it yet, but I do want to. Um, so that's going to be interesting when that finally does come out, although I think they should have held back on this one till next year, but that's just me not wanting games to be picked up too early. But hey, I play visual novels, so I'm used to early announcements for games, as well as Falcom RPGs, because that's something else that's are announced really far in advance nowadays. Um, other games, they picked up a Switch port of the uh, Record of Argrest War, aka Argrest Generations of War, which, um, yeah, another bad game from Combat Heart, but the fact that they're acknowledging Argrest like this is really interesting, because that's getting an Ellie as well, which it's kind of weird that this of all things is coming back, but who knows, maybe if they're bringing this back, they'll port some other things as well from Idea Factory or other companies. It's just interesting to see that. And the other two announcements they had were two more games from Nippon Columbia, which is basically a partner in Japan they've had. Like, and they just bring over these quite simple games which don't take too much. Like, they're quite easy to get into and probably aren't that expensive to actually license. But these two are Cuddly Forest Friends, which is a cosy petting game. And Spooky Spirit Shooting Gallery, which is a... Actually, this is a Switch port of an arcade game, which is basically set at a festival. And it's basically like, you go to a festival, and you know those games where you shoot things and try to win prizes. It's basically that. And I recognised it from the trailer, because I saw the footage of this a while ago. It came out in, like, last year, and it actually does look really cool, actually. So, I want to check out this Shooting Gallery game, so hopefully that comes over sooner than later, so it's going to be fun. Uh, other thing, they didn't talk about Mon Yu, which is the experiencing dungeon crawler they announced like in the summer, but they confirmed afterwards they'll still be localising it, but hopefully that doesn't mean it's been delayed or anything, because like, that game came out like this summer, or actually no, not this summer, probably close to the last summer actually, but yeah, that's taken a long time for a dungeon crawler, like, wonder what's going on there. Alright, now onto visual novel news, which is mostly covering Anime Atlanta, because uh, the PC visual novel publishers uh, were at the show, and there were a few announcements I want to talk about. Um, well, there were announcements, I'm not talking about all of them, because some of them are just shit and or problematic. 
And then there's a couple of, uh, maybe just just one actually, just non-related to this show, but I'm talking about it. And not including the Axis games from the panel, which I talked about just a little bit ago, because I just did them all together, so they're technically part of this section as well. But this section today is basically Anime Atlanta. And there's only really two from Anime Atlanta I want to talk about properly. Uh, the first one is actually... Well, both of these are from Nekonian. And the first one is Love Elections and Chocolate. This is a visual from Sprites, who are known for Aokana. It's set in the same world as Aokana. Um, this is, came out in like 12 years ago as of the 29th of October. So almost to the day. And it got an anime adaptation that came west. Uh, people liked it. I once had a copy of it, actually, and was going to watch it, but never did. But it always looked interesting. So, yeah, I'm interested in this one, and I'm hoping it turns out well. And they've already said it's 100% translated. So just go on, just edit it, and you do a better test, and then it can release. So it'll probably be later next year, but it'll be worth the wait for that. And the other one is... This is one I wasn't expecting from their panel. And it's... Mysteries of the Heart, The Psychic Detective Case Files, which is otherwise known as Shinzo Noise. And this one is what's considered a, uh, a plot gay, so basically very plot heavy. Uh, it got a console release as well as PC, so you can get it on the PS4 in Japan as well. And that interests me as well, because like you've got, they're going to have a, well, it's by Azura, right? And hopefully this comes to Steam and uh, can pick it up. This game interests me because the protagonist is a freshman with the ability to like peer into other people's minds and hear their thoughts, but he cannot tell who belongs to who. And what stuck out to me about that was the fact that it sounds like a potentially unintentional depiction of like autism-related sensory overload, like. You go into one room and everyone's voice sounds the same. It's just like hearing waffle and just sounds and, well, noise. And that's kind of interesting. Like, how's that going to be pulled off? And I know a lot of people like it. And, and the fact that there's going to be, like, gameplay, like, detective sections also is interesting. I just hope it's able to, like, get onto Steam. Uh, especially, like, have these things down and just... It does well, and hopefully, potentially, even get a Switch port later. Because, I mean, Hyundai X are porting pretty much everything to the Switch. But they can with English, except Dos Mafia. But, um, yeah, uh, I'm hoping they can potentially do it do, do a patch for it afterwards. But, you know, other than that, I'll be uh, keeping on this one. Uh, that one's earlier in translation, I think. So, it's in progress, I believe. And... The other thing that was interesting about this is that, for those who don't know, uh, Azurite, which is the developer, is part of DMM Games. And they said at the panel, because I managed to find a live stream for it and actually watched it uh, with the complete, with the really awkward camera angle. He said that because of the parent company, DMM Games, it opens up the possibilities to work with them and their partners. And when I heard that, there was one thing that came to mind. It's not going to surprise you at all. White Album 2. Oh yes, I said it wouldn't surprise you. And the reason why is like, DMM Games is basically the company for Aqua Plus, like, 
released their PC games digitally on in English and in Japanese. Like they've got White Happen 2 on DMM Games for PC still, and in the West if they have their games released on Steam via well their their console like not console their PC Steam label Sharivune. So for me, it's like. I hope this means you're eyeing up trying to connect with them and maybe convince them to bring over White Happen 2 or some of their other games because Aquaplus have a lot of games that they probably want to bring over. So, you know, I'm allowed to kind of eye that up and think, you know, please try. I want you to try bring it over. And this is what I mean when I say I fully believe White Happen 2 will eventually get a localization. And no one will tell me otherwise. But yeah, that was cool. The other thing that kind of counted was there was actually a trailer, again, from the live stream, which was kind of badass. Like, it was for a game called Love, 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 Burning in My Heart, which also got picked up. And the trailer was so cool. Like, I love the the speedy motorbike aesthetic and the biking, which I thought was pretty cool. I don't know if I'll actually play that one, though, because it's very much a more light-hearted, like, fluff game, which I'm not super into, especially if it's Bushojo. But, you know... Maybe if it goes on Steam and it goes on sale, maybe. But that trailer was badass and I really liked it. Anyway, last two bits of news for well, the whole episode. Even if Tempest fan disc was announced from Voltage, basically the story after the Witch Trials from the base game. Uh, not played even if Tempest. Still waiting for a physical release. But that was cool for those interested. And the last one, which was a really nice surprise... Um, well, it was kind of, like, announced last, like, late last month that Butterfly Poison Blood Change was coming to Switch in English in October, but then Prototype were, like, early this week, or last week, oh, it's getting patched now, so now we're going to get this patch, and if you go on the eShop in Japan, you can see it has the Ego Kanji, which means it's got English text support, which is really cool, and that means now you can... Play it on there, download it, get the update. Same physical copies. And they're even reprinting the physical copies, which have been out of print for a long time with this update on the car, which is really cool, actually. And it's likely the digital version will come out worldwide, too. It hasn't been dated yet. It likely will be out, but, you know, I'm looking forward to that. If anyone's played it, let me know. I want to see what the translation quality is like before I consider getting that. It looks good. It looks like something up right on my street. And it's not by Otomate, so getting a bit more non-idea factory Otome goodness into my life would be great. At least until I uh, get around to playing Baron Barricade, the Shea, or the other Otomate games that I want to play. Nine Rip, Localized, please. And Clock Zero. And Palika. And Libra of Nila Admirari. Yes, I will add to the list as much as I want. Now onto what I've been playing, which um, I've been going for a while, so I won't be too long this time. Project Cross Zone 2, I've talked about that before, you know, this, you know what that game is. Um, by the time this episode's published, I'll likely have finished the whole game. Uh, fantastic game, I fucking love it. I love the character interactions, love the simple gameplay. Um, I love just love the building, the world building and that kind of thing. Uh, I like the, how the game's tying up the loose ends and the characters who want to defeat them for the final time. They're like, oh, go back to our world and you don't see them anymore, which is good because... Seeing the same characters over and over again kind of gets a bit tiring after a while. Unless they're the antagonists and cool, but maybe I'd maybe I'd care more about Nemesis T-Type if I'd actually played Resident Evil and like it. But other than that, you know, fuck the Nemesis T-Type. Um, also, the depiction of the two Fire Emblem stages are really cool. I love them both. One of them's a hot springs, 
and I liked it as well. Especially the mechanics it combined. It's like if you're in the hot springs, you will get your HP healed, saying of the enemy, and that really had a sense of like strategic depth, which I thought was really cool. Combining like the worlds and the map to add mechanics and like that is really cool. And I uh, really hope for a Project Cross Zone 3 at some point. I think it will probably happen eventually once Monmouth isn't tied down with as much Nintendo stuff because Monmouth has, like, they've grown exponentially, but it also means that a lot of the work they've been doing has been assisting Nintendo with other games. So, like, Breath of the Wild 2, for example, they're assisting Nintendo with on that one. They helped out with Splatoon 3. They helped out with Animal Crossing New Horizons as well. And this is on top of their own stuff, which are basically, well, the Xenoblade games. All of them are amazing, but I would like to see something else that's not related to that series from them soon. And I think another Project Crossover game would be great for that. Like, they've got a talent for it. And maybe they'll do another new IP that's completely unrelated to Xeno or anything they've done before. So, you never know. Or even a remake of Soma Bringer the west as well that'd be cool because yeah they did that game as well which uh also is a fan patch i've not played it yet but i want to but yeah i will miss this game when i've done it especially when you've played like so long like about almost 40 hours of my life on just one srpg but it's a good srpg and it's worth your time i definitely recommend it and uh eventually when i get around to doing my srpg recommendations video which will probably be early next year I will actually be talking about the Project Cross Sim games. I have lots I want to talk about. Now onto what I've been playing in terms of visual novels, because outside of Project Cross Zone, I've only really been playing visual novels. And that's fine, because I'm getting to catch up on things that I missed out playing on PC, and it's been great. Uh, the big one, which I've been talking about on Twitter, is Chapter 1 for Higurashi When They Cry. This is, well, the first arc, the first part of the Higurashi When They Cry, like, main core story. It's known as Onikakushi. I'm playing with the seventh mod, which basically adds the PS3 assets, the CGs, the music, and overall makes it a lot better to play. It's basically, it's basically how you should play the game unless you're really diehard and want that original doujin experience with really awkward drawings, which look a bit bad if I'm being honest <laughs> and um it's like they were like part of the console versions which vet rights are owned by different companies they were owned by Alchemist who did the PS3 version but then later on they'd be owned by Entergram which did the Switch version and basically the Switch version is not coming west now four years it's not coming at this point there are patches for the Switch version unofficially but part of that's actually machine translated because the content in that version is actually slightly different because there's like extra choices and stuff. But for me, it's like, I'm not sure I'll even like this game 100%, so I'm just going to play it on PC. And I already had like most of the arcs from years ago anyway, because, well, Man Gamer did a humble bundle and that was in it. They had their Higurashi arcs, they had A Kiss for the Petals, Remembering How We Met, and a bunch of other games as well. They had, I think... Eden was another one, like a whole bunch of common stuff from their library, and I and I had ready, so I was like, you know, I'll just get them from there, get the seventh mod, and make it an actual playable version that I can really get into, and I do really like it. I find it a bit confusing still, but it is a bit of a slow burn. But I really like the fact it's kinetic, and the characters are good. It's kind of it's weird. It's fun, and I do like it. And I'm hoping I can get through all of them. 
It also helps the fact that because the games were released separately on Steam, they all have their own achievement list. So it means that I can go through each game and actually, you know, play like with the achievements, which I think is really cool. And get into a profile. So when my Steam profile levels up a bit more, I can get more perfect games and have this long, massive list of Higurashi arcs, among all these other VNs and games, which, uh, yeah. Um, and maybe be able to move on to Umineko as well, because that's a newer game, which a lot of people also love as well, which I've not played, but also has similarly superior assets that can be added in via Le Patch. And finally, for the last game I'll talk about, it's one I've not talked about at all, but it's one I've been playing, but as largely because it's mostly been fluff. And that's Lily Cool Rainbow Stage. Now, this is an obscure Yuri VN release on PC. It's one I've been playing every now and then. It's very, like... It's based on a Japan-only drama CD series by Particle, which is a subsidiary of a production pencil, who also own Taisho X Alice, by the way. Um, this is a very cute game. Very light-hearted. Very... Lots of slice of life. It's generally, like, a palette cleanser. If you play really dark, triggering stuff and play a game like this that does wonders for like helping to like not be as distressing so it's nice to have that and just have these dynamics between these characters and just them doing fun cute girly things and it's really cool and very cute as well the designs are really cute the colors all the characters are such vibrant colors and the school and the designs as well it's so cute and I really like it and I am um, do I do think it's pretty good it goes on sale a lot for like, you can get it for like a £10 on sale, which is really good actually. And you can just play for it. It's mostly kinetic. There's one route, but it's like a choice of three, where you can choose between the three, what, which couple goes together and who becomes the friend. But aside from that, it's all kinetic and it's pretty fun. So might talk about it in a Vision Novel Hidden Gems video, because yes, I will be doing a Vision Novel Hidden Gems video at some point when I finally have... Enough I feel comfortable including in a Vision Novel Hidden Gems video, so that's going to be cool. So, I'm all done with that now. The end is now for this episode. So thank you again for listening to episode 27 of the Miller's Gaming Podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Uh, as I said at the start, liking, commenting, subscribing, five-star reviews, notification bell, pick whatever applies to your platform, and keep tuning in. Uh, thank you very much for listening and bye-bye.